You may be wondering, what is a Metroidvania? Well, it's a portmanteau of Metroid and Castlevania, but really, it's just a good time. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today, we are talking about Prince of Persia, the Lost Crown, because I guess some prince lost his crown. Maybe you should go to the dentist and get it replaced. I'm Jason Trier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello. Hey. Hello. We Hello. made it despite disaster this week. Yeah. Yes, I've survived <laughs> the worst weekend of weather that I've ever seen in Portland, Oregon. And I gather maybe one of the worst weekends of weather this city has ever had. Yeah. And here I am, alive. It's kind of all I want to talk about. How long, but... how long did you not have power? Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was freezing here, uh, below zero wind chills. And in my house, we did not have power for almost three days. For wow. More than, for two, three days and two nights. Including no heat. Like, no heat, no electricity. No heat. We wound up, ask me anything about generators and how to get your heater running off of a generator. And I can tell you a lot more than I could have told you um, Four days uh, a ago. few days ago. Yeah. I know about propane and how propane works in the cold, man. Wow, you're just like Hank Hill. I've learned a lot. Wow. <laughs> Hank Hill is my new best friend. <laughs> cool. Um, propane, propane for the win. Propane accessories. You know all about yeah. them. Well, maybe one day we'll do a bonus episode about surviving the apocalypse. Yeah, triple survive. Time. Triple prep. We can uh, do some prep. In the meantime, we have a lot of other bonus episodes, which you can, of course, listen to by becoming a supporter of our show. Become a Maximum Fun member by going to Maximum Fun. by going to (laughs) MaximumFun.org slash join and signing up and helping us make this show possible. That's how we do this thing. We're listener supported and we have bonus episodes every month in appreciation for all of our supporters, including the one we just did in December, which is a Beans cast, a spoiler cast where we did a deep dive into Baldur's Gate 3. And this month we are going to be doing an episode where we talk about the best other things of 2023. We already did our best games of 2023. Now we're going to do all the other stuff, the movies, the books, TV shows, etc etc so look forward to that and if you are looking forward to that but you're not a member now's your chance maximumfund.org slash join all right maddie what are we talking about today we are talking about a video game called prince of persia the lost crown that yes i started playing and then i started haranguing you two to start playing And I, I mean, I have the luxury of being able to do that and tell you to that, despite the game only being available to our listeners on today, this very day that the episode drops, because I got a code for my Nintendo Switch from work because I'm the person at Polygon who likes Metroidvanias and Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown is a Metroidvania. It's made by Ubisoft Montpelier. They, they actually made a couple Rayman games that I really love called Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends. I don't know if you two played those in the early 2010s. I sure did. They're and so I love them as good. Well. And yes. I haven't thought about them in years until I played this game, which I, I truly just, I installed it for work. I, I had no expectations and I, I wasn't immediately sold, you know, first couple hours. I was like, this is fun. I'm having a good time. And then a couple hours later, I was like, wow, I really don't want to stop playing this game. And then maybe 10 hours later, I was like, this is my life now. All I do is play Prince of Persia. And now I'm almost done. I think I'm on the final boss. Or at least I freaking hope so, because it's really hard and I haven't beaten it. And I may never beat it. This might be as far as I get in this game. But uh, I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm really enjoying it. And I want to hear what you two think. Oh, also, I should say this is actually my first Prince of Persia game. I'm not a Prince of Persia mm-hmm. person. So I think I want to hear from Kirk first, because, Kirk, you're more familiar with the Prince of Persia legacy. And maybe you even have feelings about the Sands of Time remake that has been much delayed and is not this game. So don't be confused, listeners, if you're thinking this is the <laughs> remake of Sands of Time. It's not. It's not that. Okay, well- Maybe we can just list some other games that are not this game. Well, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've had this conversation more than once where people are like, oh, oh really? is that that new Prince of Persia that they've been making? And I'm like, well, yes, but it's not the one you might think it is. 
Right, it's not the remake of the old game. Yes. Um, I really like this game from what I've played of it. As I mentioned, I didn't have power for most of this weekend. <laughs> I would have much rather been playing Prince of Persia than doing anything that I did all weekend, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't, unfortunately. And I... Uh, I didn't have the Switch version at the time, though I actually do now. And thanks to Ubisoft's sort of cross-save compatibility, I was able to take my PS5 save and load it up on the Switch. And I will say that Switch is a great way to play this game. That's like my Metroidvania machine. I played (laughs) Hollow Knight on that, and I played Metroid Dread, and now I'm playing this. So, yeah, I have played The Sands of Time. I reviewed, I believe I reviewed The Forgotten Sands, which was a 2010 Prince of Persia game for Kotaku. I don't have very strong memories of it. Bing! Future Kirk here, trapped in a temporal anomaly as I edit this episode and existing in parallel with my past self. Just wanted to say the reason I don't have strong memories of it is that I didn't actually review it. That was Stephen Totillo. But I definitely did play it. Anyway, back to the show. Bing! But it was a pretty good game, more of a platformer. And I've always thought of Prince of Persia as more of a platforming series than a combat series. And I've never thought of it as a Metroidvania series because as far as I know, it never has followed that format. It's been a little bit more just a series of levels. Mm -hmm. So Prince of Persia is a cool series. It goes way back. I mean, Jordan Mechner, the creator of Karataka, created this game next. Like it was his follow-up to Karataka. So it's one of the like first video games you know it's it really goes way back you can look at footage of the first prince of persia and see some really interesting stuff 1989 wow yeah 89 and um karataka of course a game that is really interesting that i learned all about last year because i contributed to the big digital eclipse uh sort of museum piece that celebrates karataka and um, i did something about the music for that Uh, for that game that was really fun. And that process, of course, taught me a lot about that game and about Jordan Mechner. So that's the kind of genesis of Prince of Persia, which then at some point transferred to Ubisoft and became um, a Ubisoft, you know, uh, a Ubisoft endeavor. I believe it was like owned by Broderbund before that. It's it's kind of one of those like long publishing sagas. Mm -hmm. So Ubisoft bought it and then they put out The Sands of Time, which is a really legendary game. It was really beloved by egg-headed Uh, game critic types because it did something with a platformer where it kind of allowed for the narrative to fit the platforming into the story because the whole game is being told by the narr- it's being narrated by the prince. So anytime you would die, Ludo narrative consonants. We love yes. to see it. <laughs> Every time you would die, he would say like, "Wait a minute, that's not what happened." Yep. And it would kind of flash back. Plus, the game was built around a time rewinding mechanic that was really cool for a platformer at the time because you'd like screw up a jump and you could just zip, like rewind time. That game holds was up. Was this before, or after Bastion? Uh, oh, way before. Way before, um, right? Sands yeah. Of time and before was Braid like, and so on. Well, Bastion had the narrator. That's what I'm referring to. Which kind of let me see. Oh yeah, Sands of Time was 2003. So this was much much earlier, Um, and a really cool idea. Which then, of course, Braid played with that idea too. Jonathan Blow's Braid, where you rewind time and it's a platformer you can control time, um, or at least in some parts of Braid. So Mm -hmm. that was that game, and it was really cool. It was like a thinking person's platformer kind of. Um, There was some combat, but the platforming and the puzzles was always the the sort of central uh, the central attraction. So here we are playing this game. It's a Metroidvania. It feels to me much much more in line with actually Hollow Knight, my beloved Hollow Knight. It really um, uh, takes some great lessons from Hollow Knight. We can go through specifics later, but um, I have not been able to play as much as I wanted to. But I have just gotten the second sort of major power up, which is a teleport warp. Mm-hmm. time bending ability that yeah. seems to be a huge game changer and came after a really cool narrative sequence in this game. So that's how far I am. Mm-hmm. We can maybe talk about anything up to then. I don't actually want to hear any more because I do find this game very delightful and want to be surprised by it. But that's a fair chunk that we oh, can for talk sure. about. I don't want to spoil yeah. any of the other power-ups after that. I think that one that Kirk is on is around when the game really clicked for me. I mean, that makes it sound like mm-hmm. I wasn't enjoying it before then, but that teleport was when I was like, ah, oh, this is so cool. Like now mm-hmm. I can do anything, which is always how you feel when you get a power up in a Metroidvania. And then you're like, wait, there's like 16 more doors. There's so I much I still open. can't do. What? But yeah. it feels for a second like you can do anything. So Jason, yeah. uh, what do you think so far? Yeah, I love it. I'm a little further than you, Kirk. Um, I've done a few, done a few more things. Uh, explored a lot more of the underground areas, which are extremely Hollow Knight. 
Um, yeah, it's a really just a fantastic Metroidvania. Like it feels up there with Metroid Dread um, in that kind of that upper echelon. I don't think it it's quite Hollow Knight level, but Hollow Knight is really a masterpiece. But it's clearly very inspired by Hollow Knight. Um, it's got a lot of similar feels in a lot of way. Even the way that you kind of swing a sword and make contact with an enemy has very similar um, kind of sensations. Um, the air dash, which you get pretty early, is feels a lot like Hollow Knight's air dash, even the order of events. So you get the air dash first before you get the double jump. Um, I'm assuming <laughs> have I have that in my notes. Double jump. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fun. It's a it's a cool way of doing it because you kind of you learn to maneuver space in a different way than you would with the double jump. And then you can add the double jump on top of that, which I assume will come at some point because there's got to be a double jump. Also, I'm kind of struck by how uh, much inspiration it takes from Dark Souls. Um, there are a lot of shortcuts that you unlock between your your save points, and yes. it, it doesn't do the whole Dark Souls thing of you lose all your uh, money when you die and you have to go back and get it. But it does do the Dark Souls thing of when you die, you respawn at the nearest uh, tree. Um, those are the equivalent of bonfires or benches in Hollow Knight, and you have to um, find your way back to where you died. And all the enemies uh, are so, back too whenever you're back right, in the tree. Right, well, yeah, uh, but not not when you not every time you rest. Or the, well, enemies respawn constantly. Actually, like they just they'll there are times you'll just go back through an area and they'll be back. That's more like Metroid. Yeah, like that was why in Dark Souls I always was like this is kind of easy. It's not like Metroid where they just respawn every time you turn around. <laughs> the point I was getting at is more that you when you die if you've unlocked a shortcut you can get back to where you were more yes. quickly, which adds to that rewarding feeling of exploration and being like oh, okay great found a shortcut now I don't, mm-hmm. don't have to worry. And you much. keep your items. Not- like not, not just your money, is. but like an item you get. Like in Dark Souls, if you just only barely get a precious key, you have it the whole time, even if right. you die. Right, right, right. You don't really lose anything, so it's not quite as kind of uh, get, doesn't quite have that sense of danger that Souls games do. But yeah, I really like it. I mean, the one big downside for me, and I'm curious if you guys have experienced it, is the bugs. So I've gotten a few really nasty ones, including one side quest bug where like, I was talking to this character. I don't remember exactly what the side quest was, but I was talking to this character, and then suddenly everything kind of froze while I was leaving the room, and there was a weird camera glitch, and then I left the room. And then when I check my, now when I check my journal the side quest is just like completely blank for me. It's like totally glitched out. And so that sort of thing that combined with a few other kind of weird bugs here and there give this sense that like, Oh man, this game needed a little more time to cook. What are and you needed playing a little it more on? Polish. I'm playing it on the switch. Oh wow. Um, okay. But these aren't like performance bugs. Right, these right. are kind of like gameplay bugs. So yeah. So um, that's been a bummer uh, for an otherwise excellent game that I'm enjoying quite a bit and feeling like, oh wow, like we're only it's January 18th, the day we're publishing this, and we're ready on to we're ready seeing a strong like 2024 yeah. contender. Like hey, maybe this will make make some of our lists at the end of the year. But that bug stuff, I mean. Uh, it's a bummer. It's a big, big detriment uh, on a game that I'm otherwise really enjoying. Yeah, for what it's worth, I haven't had any of that. And I, I've had a couple of crashes, like just straight up black screen crash to desktop, like maybe two or three, but everything was still there when I booted it back up and nothing worse than that. So that's too bad. And I wonder if there's going to be a day one patch that maybe fixes up some of that. That'd be nice. I haven't had um, any yet either. Like I said, though, I haven't played that much. I did see some folks who have gotten it early. I think if you subscribe to Ubisoft Premium Plus, Super, <laughs> whatever it's called, and if you subscribe to their service, you can yeah, play the game a few days early. early yeah. And I was looking at a thread, I think, on Ubisoft um, Premium Plus Super Remake that's Plus right. Turbo. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I was looking at a thread, I think, on Reset Era, and pe- some people were saying they had run into a side quest bug as well. It might be the one you're describing. Interesting. Reason, so. Yeah. I do think that's a thing, which is too bad, uh, just because in this kind of game, you really count on your progression being consistent Mm -hmm. so that's a bummer to hear um i think so let's talk a little more about how this game plays if we can because i have a bunch of notes of all of these interesting things they're borrowing which you know it's definitely a game where you can look at each individual element and kind of trace it back to something like there's a map vendor that you find in levels that hums there's there are a lot of things in this game that feel lifted from hollow knight Mm -hmm. 
But then again, it's really hard to do that. Jason, you mentioned the feel of the game, the way that the air dash feels, the way that combat feels, the physicality of your sword swings. I should say Sargon's sword swings, the mm-hmm. main character. And yeah, I really, I felt what I feel with this game more than any platformer that I've played that my exact Hollow Knight skills carry over to um, to this game. Like it feels like I really practiced these exact skills and now I'm getting to use them. Like the float, the feel of the air dash, the way that you can stick to the wall and then air dash back to the wall. Yep. It just feels exactly right. I was I wrote this in my notes. So <laughs> if you play saxophone, you get really <laughs> okay. good at playing like the B-flat blues. That's like a key of the blues that you really just, it's the first thing you learn on sax. And then even when you're like professional, you just have a million licks in B-flat. Every tenor sax player, it's like B-flat blues, I can go. So then you learn a bunch of other tunes. You learn how to play over different changes, which is kind of like other video games, other platformers that mm-hmm, I've learned. Mm-hmm. But then every now and then someone will just call a tune that's like full on B-flat blues and you just get to shred in the key that you're really comfortable in. And this game feels like that to me when I'm in a really thick fight I'm like dude this is I can do this already because I learned how to do it it's kind of the b-flat blues of metroidvanias for me wait a minute okay so what you're describing <laughs> the hollow knight skills uh, 100% translate to the platforming the fighting feels totally different because you're dodging and countering which you're not really doing in hollow knight I mean hollow knight doesn't have like dodge and counter cues I definitely wouldn't go that far I think that dodge and counter is really cool it's like a sort of Sekiro style color-coded dodge counter, you, mean you the know, parry. like a red attack. Yeah. A red attack is a dodge, a yellow attack is a counter. Yeah, that, well, so like when you're fighting bosses, that to me feels totally different. That feels more like a Sekiro, more like a traditional action game than a than Hollow Knight. So I'm surprised you feel like your, your Hollow Knight skills are translating. Well, really, I mean, the platforming is a huge part of this game. I would say oh, yeah. a bigger right, part of right, the right, game right. than yeah, the combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. th- those are the skills I'm talking about. Got but it. no, okay. even, in, even in combat, I mean... The verticality, using the air dash to stay above an enemy, attacking downward to bounce upward, like a lot of those moves are the same moves that I use in Hollow Knight. And I find myself thinking uh, geometrically in the exact same way about a fight where I'm trying to get up, I'm moving over, I'm like tracking the enemy. And it's just these little brain patterns that I've trained into that part of my brain that just reawakened the minute I started playing this game. Mm -hmm. So, okay, the reason that I bring this up is because I actually found it really fun and interesting and subversive that I had... I'm like conditioned to do that, jumping over an enemy, bouncing on them, like air dashing away and so on. Um, But then the game switches that up by throwing some tough bosses at you that require you to use the parries and the counters and and, uh, fight them in a very different way than you would fight in a normal Metroidvania. I guess Metroid Jet has some similar ideas. The parry too. concept is in the there. Parry, parry and I think and that's DMEs where they got and... it from to kind of continue Kirk's thread of where they got their influences. Like parts mm. of the parry, like I don't remember what they call it. It's like a, a plot parry where they're like, if you parry a yellow attack, you will get a little cutscene play out. <laughs> a sick cutscene where, yeah. where like Sargon does a sweet kick to the person's yeah. head or yeah. whatever. And they call it something like that, like a narrative mm-hmm. parry or whatever. And it's like, kind of motivates you to do it not only because you're going to mm-hmm. then have a successful counterattack opportunity but also because if you're in a boss fight then you get this cool cutscene and you're like going to maybe advance to to the next stage of the boss fight and take down a bunch of health it's it's great because it, it's training you to do something that's really important but most of the time i'm honestly sliding under the bosses that's my favorite thing to do i don't sliding jump over them the i love sliding cool. under them it's so good so there's <laughs> there's some tough ones man this game one of the things that i really like about this game similar to hollow knight is how challenging it is um the boss i was just finding a boss that was a royal pain um the one that is it's kind of like a crab with a giant shield that yep. you have to like get under or around but <laughs> it's not kind of this a pain boss to get yeah. I won't get into much detail, but it's very fun to fight. They definitely get harder and harder pretty linearly, which yeah, is it's, great. It's great. I love it. Depending on how you feel about me still not having beaten the final boss. Well, you'll, you'll get attempts. it. You'll get it's it. Fine. You'll do it. I'm you'll fine. pull it off. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of difficulty settings, unlike a it's lot true. of games of this nature. Unlike um, Hollow Knight doesn't have difficulty yeah, settings. Yeah, Metroid right? Dread didn't launch with them, but I think it has them It added now. them later. Yeah. Yeah, one of so, the difficulty settings is even. Even like parry timing, which I find yeah. the parry timing to be enjoyably tight in this game. Mm-hmm. And actually, since recently getting good at Lies of P, which also has very tight parry timing and a really similar parry dodge, red, yellow, etc. Yep. 
um, system. Like it's cool to learn another parry timing, but it is slightly different than the parry timing in each of these games, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool that you can adjust it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a classic video game thing, huh? Like how many years have those cues been in place of like red, gotta dodge, yellow, mm-hmm. gotta parry, or blue sometimes. Yeah, it's like gotta... it's like purple is rare, yellow is legendary, blue is common. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, yeah, the the challenge is really enjoyable, I find, and I think really adds, kind of takes it up a notch. I found that playing, there are a lot of Metroidvanias released every year. I really like the genre, so I try to check out at least some of them. Um, the ones that I bounce off and don't wind up finishing are usually the ones that are easier, not necessarily because I dislike them, just because there isn't really anything keeping me going. And in this game, I feel like what is keeping me going is that difficulty and feeling like I'm gradually getting challenged and I can't wait for like really tough platforming challenges like what Hollow Knight does with Got Home. And uh, I'm excited to see what's coming, although the bug thing is kind of that that yeah. albatross as as I go that is making me like, oh, maybe I should just wait. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you don't run into any more. I've really had good luck with it, so I'm hoping that that just doesn't happen to you anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm finding the game to be welcoming in some clever ways that go beyond the accessibility settings, too. And I think those are worth mentioning because while this game is challenging and you can adjust the difficulty, but I'd say playing it on the default difficulty setting, that kind of feels like where they tuned it. And that is, it's a hard game for people who like hard games. Like this is for people who like Hollow Knight, which is a very difficult mm-hmm. game. Or Metro. But from way back. they've added yeah. some nice stuff. Like there's this kid who will give you a hint. So for a very small amount of currency, you can just get a hint on where you're supposed to go next. And that can be really useful. Mm-hmm. I always pay for those because I just like the dialogue in this game. And she always yeah. says the hint in a fun, poetic way. And I just like mm-hmm. hearing what she has to say about the ongoing events. So I'll just pay for yeah. them. It's only like 30 bucks or whatever the currency is. Feathers, right. I don't it's, remember. Yeah, it's, it's almost nothing, especially <laughs> once you're a little later in the game and yeah. you're, you know, you're making that much from a single enemy. And I just like making making small talk with the NPCs in this game. I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, so that's really cool. Like that's, It's just helpful to know that you can go check in with someone and have them tell you where to go next. Mm-hmm. There's also a really nice feature that um, Frushdick wrote an article for Polygon yes! about that I think he was very right to call this feature out because it's so cool, where one dedicated button that's just down on the D-pad um, just snaps a screenshot and adds that to your map, which yes. is so useful for a Metroidvania because you don't have to mark something. You know, in Hollow Knight, for example, you have these map markers mm-hmm. and you have to kind of remember, okay, wait, this one is, just looks like a little bug head. What does that mean? <laughs> does that mean like a high jump or does that mean... And you still have map markers too in this game if you want to use them, but being able to take a picture that's like, okay, I can't get across these stupid spikes yet and I don't know why whatever and then later you have a power where you're like oh that's easy now and you can just quickly scroll through the map and look at all your pictures and be like still don't know how to do that one oh but i can do that and then just go straight there it's the best right so it's a way that you can check your map and then remember where the places are that you'll be able to use a new ability when you get it also little things like when you're in a boss fight and you die you can just retry the boss fight Yes. Right from the start of the fight. You don't have to go do a dumb run. Also, those trees that Jason mentioned, the bonfire-esque trees, they're always placed next to the very difficult platforming challenges. Mm-hmm. So if you do die on one of those, you just can start right away. And also, usually the platforming challenges, you just lose some health each time you screw up. Like So it'll be, I don't know, there was one that I just did, which was this room that fills with poison. Do you guys remember this room? Yep. And you have to kind of... It's it's a classic Prince of Persia style thing where you're jumping across poison and then you have to time it so suddenly some you know safe ground comes up in the poison you jump on that go up to the wall you hit a a, a what would you call it I guess like a trapeze like a pole that you swing around and you have to do that shoot across use the air dash go but there's a bunch of spikes everywhere it's just totally crazy and I mean I'm sure some very skilled player could do it on their first try but you totally eat shit a few times before you pull it off but the nice thing is there's a tree right there so you're slowly losing health but it's not that stressful feeling of in another game if you're really kind of far away from a checkpoint and you're like oh my god I'm gonna need my health you know Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the uh, what's it called in Hollow Knight that really ludicrous the path of pain in in Hollow Knight I just remember that like you're so far away especially as you get farther into it like I would kit myself out just for healing so that I could get just a couple of hit points so that I could keep going and that's a little less of an issue in this game. But that's also what makes it all the more satisfying when you beat it. There is a balance there. You don't want the save points to be too frequent. I mean, and- 
for what it's worth, the game is going to slowly do that. And that's another thing about it that I find mm. really satisfying. So right. eventually you get more and more kind of platforming challenge opportunities and they'll be way far away from a whack whack tree and you have to just have enough health on you to get through it or if you're me and you're not that good at it you just kit out your amulets which is like your collection of little power-ups right. that you can only edit at a tree which i also like and speaking as a, of hollow knight influence yeah, yeah. just saying <laughs> yeah so you you choose your amulets which have different powers and you collect different amulets over the course of the game and usually those really tricky far off platforming challenges that don't lead to a new area they're clearly optional will have something really good as a reward like my favorite reward is a blank amulet slot because then i can just add it in another yeah. amulet that's the best reward but those eventually are only reserved for the the hardest platforming challenges like you can buy a couple of them from the shopkeepers but eventually they're sold out quote unquote and you're like what i just can't buy infinite amulet slots and then you got to just start getting really hard on the platforming challenges which is so fun it it's just great yeah i'm 100 i feel like i'm gonna 100 percent this game i just it has that feel to me yeah i'm i'm absolutely doing that like i am leaving my final boss run to go complete more platforming challenges insisting to myself that if i just had more amulets or the right amulets the final boss will in fact be easy which is of course how every metroidvania should be designed yeah, I think so. Um, the, um, yeah, the, I mean, the really difficult challenges that I've done, which are pretty early in the game, if you want to do them. There was one to get a Xerxes coin yep. where you have to basically get in and get out, which is another fun kind of challenge. So you start in the air, basically. You jump across some spikes. You hit a pole. You swing from the pole down to the wall. You drop down to the next level. You jump over some more spikes, hit another pole, land on a platform that falls away after you're on it for a second, jump up to the wall, and then you get the coin. And then you have to get out. <laughs> Which I didn't realize the first time I yep. did it. And then was this wonderful feeling of like, oh, God. <laughs> okay, so I have to plan this whole thing out. And you wind up building this whole kind of intricate dance in your head mm -hmm. where you work out all the timing and go through it. And yep. I can only imagine. I mean, that was the first one of those. So I'm sure they get much more complicated. Plus, it was designed to be completed just with the air dash. So mm -hmm. once you've got a double jump and whatever else, you're having to like you know, juggle all of your abilities in the air without touching the ground through this whole challenge. I mean... If it were any other game, if the jump and dash, if everything felt different and I was having to learn a whole new kind of jam, I don't know that I would be as satisfied with it. But because it's this literacy I already have, it feels so good and so comfortable. It maps so onto what I already know how to do. I'm just like loving that. I'm. It's like an excuse to use all these skills. It's so mm. cool. You have to yeah. be good at it to enjoy the challenge. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I think that uh, that. Uh, on top of all of this stuff, the one thing, the one part of this game we haven't really talked about is the story, which I find pretty interesting as well. Um, the yeah, story, really like in it. short, is that you're playing as this guy who's kind of a, a warrior of this Persian kingdom, and uh, the prince gets kidnapped, and you have to go and save him, and you wind up in this big area, which is where the game is set, called Mount Kuf, Kuf. Um, yeah. And it is Cough, essentially yeah. uh, kind of like a, a time prison where yeah, people can potentially stay for years without realizing like there's different people are in different accelerated timelines and all sorts of wacky time shenanigans are going on, which allows for some cool stuff. Um, there are a Definitely. couple things that I really enjoy about the story. One is that you as an immortal are a member of this kind of elite force with six other dudes who are also dudes and, and gals who are also immortals. Dudes ladies can i ask a quick question i want to i want to make a like a distinction here is that your group of soldiers are called the immortals but they are in fact mortals that is correct right? yeah, they're, they're mortals humans yes. because you yes. meet actual immortals i know in this game. and, yes. but you, and i was a little confused at first yeah. i was like wait am i an immortal or? i loved that when the blacksmith makes fun of you for saying you're an immortal and she's like you're immortal you dumbass yes. so just wanted to to point that out to, to listeners yes. that you are immortal actually but your group is called the immortals continue sorry jason so the thing i I enjoy about this is that they are all keeping you company as you go and so they'll duck in they'll come help you fight some some enemies they'll 
say some things and they'll jump away. And it really feels like you're exploring this area with like a group of people, which I think is a really cool kind of unique feeling um, that I haven't seen in a ton of games like this. The other thing that I think is really cool is just the time shenanigans and how that also kind of weaves with the gameplay um, because a large one, one mechanic is that um, you are trying to restore things that are out of time in levels of the, of the game of areas is of this this mountain and so uh for example the fast travel points that you find throughout the mountain you have to kind of hit this energy orb to restore them back into their proper reality and proper place and time and i think that's a cool just a cool concept and it's fun to do and it's fun how every time you get into an area where time is messed up in some way like the screen turns all yeah weird it turns all can, purple and see, spooky yeah you know something something funky is going on over here yeah. Yeah, it's a little like that game Singularity. It's a similar idea where you arrive at an island where time is all screwed up and that allows for a bunch of cool narrative uh, developments because you'll meet characters and at first I was kind of like characters from your squad mm-hmm. and at first I wasn't really that into all of them like I didn't know who they were, but as you meet them it gets more interesting especially because sometimes you'll meet one of them who appears to be very different or yeah. like a lot of time has passed for them because that happens for people or you'll even meet soldiers from the conflict you were just fighting in and they've been here for like 50 years, years yeah. and like old men and that stuff is really cool it's just like a very clever it's almost like a uh, lost like it feels a little like the way that lost just throws these surprising weird time twists into things they're having a lot of fun with it and yeah I'm, I'm definitely more into the narrative now that I've played a few hours uh, than I was at the beginning which is really cool I I really I'm really on board. Yeah, I really dig it. It reminds me of Ocarina of Time as well, Mm. in that instead of playing as Princess Zelda, which you never get to do, you're not playing as the Prince of Persia. You're playing as just some guy who is trying Mm -hmm. to protect the prince, along with a lot of other people whose job that is. And you're pretty naive at the outset. Like Sargon's a trained warrior. He's good at fighting, but he also is in over his head at the outset in the way that every video game character would be like he's level one as it were and then Mm -hmm. as time goes on and he's meeting more and more people and learning more about kind of the the palace intrigue aspects of the game and like why would somebody kidnap the prince what's really going on with this situation and he's getting powers along the way as well he gets to become battle-hardened like my my sargon and my current era of fighting the final boss is like totally kitted out like you know if he if he were to go back in time say and meet young Sargon that would be like a totally different guy and I, I always really liked that concept in Ocarina of Time of like Link changing over time but still being so, being sort of a fundamentally pure of heart person who has to like learn about his place in this larger world and it's like the story of identity across all these generations and I don't know. I really, I really like that as a storytelling device in a game. It's a classic one, but if it ain't broke, you know. Is this just part of your year-long campaign to get us to <laughs> let you win the prediction? Well, that's <laughs> who could say? Who could say? I mean, the time travel part is in there too. I think that's cool. Sargon doesn't get an ocarina though, or at least he hasn't no. yet. See, this is kind of like Far Cry 2, like the way that mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. and like fire is like a metaphor for the passage of time and malaria is like totally. decay over yeah. time. So uh-huh. true, man. Keep it so going. How far, how far can you go? Uh, you can probably vamp for a little bit uh-huh, longer. Uh-huh. Um, can I make, I'm going to make a couple of small mechanical complaints that I'm just going to lodge. I wish that when you started running, you kept running in the next screen. Yeah. That is something that kind of bothers me. If you, you have to do a slide and then if you hold down the right trigger to run as Sargon, he stops running in the next screen. And I was like, come on, let me run through multiple screens. Mm-hmm. Just kind of would have expected that. Or it's like a little mechanical blip. Uh-huh. And also, I wish there were an easier way to map movement onto the D-pad instead of the thumbstick. I'm okay with the thumbstick, but I really prefer the D-pad for a game like this. I found a way to do it. Like, you can put movement on the D-pad, but it's a little weird. I don't think, I think it doesn't quite work. Like, it, they should just, I hope that they just patch the game and release a second control setting where they just make it work, where, like, the two things that the D-pad does are just on mapped onto the thumbstick clicking or something, I don't know. And you can just fully control the game with the D-pad, because I would at least really prefer that. For all mm. movement, you mean? That's interesting. Yeah. Is that how you play Hollow Knight as well? Yeah, and I believe how I played Metroid Dread too, though I'm not sure if that game lets you do that or not. But again, actually, you know, I don't really find that, I didn't find that Metroid Dread had 
quite as demanding platforming. Am I remembering that wrong? Like, I know that game was no, tough. No, I think you're right. No, yeah. it was but, more of, yeah. yeah, the shooting and the the bosses were tougher than the platform. This definitely version. feels, this, I haven't felt this type of, like, I haven't felt this way playing a game since Hollow Knight. Like, yeah. this type of really wild, tricky, trapsy. For me, it reminds me of Celeste, which we haven't mentioned it yet. It is, yeah, it's got some Celeste yes, in Celeste it. is a good That comparison. game is so hard, but also similarly has some really extensive accessibility settings where you can... Yeah. Like in my case, just have infinite air dashes. <laughs> that's like the only yeah. way I could get through that game. Uh, and still feel like I could be. Yeah, Celeste good. is a good comparison. But yeah, yeah, the platforming. Uh, I think the uh, idea of just being constantly in the air above a lot of spikes and yep. just like using the walls to to jump off of, and then um, I think this game, unlike Hollow Knight and unlike Celeste, has those poles that you were mentioning where you, you mm-hmm. propel yourself in a given direction and it plays around with those in some fun ways. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's just pretty classic stuff. A lot of this stuff harkens back to the NES days and has just gotten more and more refined over time. Um, and the feel of it is always what makes the biggest difference between like a great platformer and, a, and a, just a good platformer and, or a mediocre platformer. And I think this um, just takes they probably the mechanic, the systems design and the and the people who were designing the platforming, the animators and so on, probably just played so much Hollow Knight because it really just has the same sort of rhythms as Hollow Knight. Um, in that it just all feels like incredible, like it's so slick and it just feels so smooth and it feels like everything you want your Sargon to do, he will do. It's very mm-hmm. responsive. It doesn't, you never really feel like you're, you're, the game is, is kind of holding you back in some way. It always feels like you're jumping exactly when you mean to, dashing exactly when you mean to. And um, I have not, never felt even in the tough parts of this game, never felt like um, it was being unfair or anything like that. It always feels like. His moveset is remarkable too. Like he has a lot more moves than the game really teaches you just mm-hmm. between the dots the different kicks you can do out of a dodge like the running jump kick you can do a jump back which is yeah. a nice speaking of souls it feels yeah, a little bit like a souls, souls. game <laughs> yeah. where just a dodge while standing still does a jump back which is very helpful you can do a downward attack or like that downward slam if you hold down the button mm-hmm. so if anyone is playing this experiment just in an empty room with all the different moves Sargon can do because they are all very helpful his charged attack actually is really useful for a lot of slower enemies because it does a ton of damage I was forgetting to do it for a little while and then remembered okay wait once i know this attack rhythm i can i know when i have time to do a charged attack and it's super worth doing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah the other kind of negative and kirk i'm surprised you haven't brought this up because you were the one who first complained about it to me is kind of the way it looks and mm. i think it has kind of um I don't mind it necessarily, but it does have kind of a generic look where Kirk, I think you pointed out to me, I think you texted me the other day that it kind of looks, it resembles a mobile game or, or something like that, where like the faces are a little bit generic, a little bit just kind of like, Oh, I've seen that in a lot of different games before. Mm -hmm. In fact, I saw some people, some memes on Twitter about black hairstyles and how so many different black characters in video games use that same Killmonger hairstyle where Mm -hmm. it's just like, um, uh, the side like, cut, the locks. The side, yeah, yep. the locks to, mm-hmm. that are just like jutting off to the side. And mm-hmm. even that just feels so generic. And Sargon, I think, is an interesting character. And he's got some some uh, an interesting enough personality. But the look of it all, it just feels very like, oh, okay, this looks like a lot of games I've seen before. Yeah, that does bug me. It bugs me less now, I think, that I've played a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Because it's I've just sort of adjusted to how it looks. Yeah, and I do. It, I think sure. the voice acting is good. I really actually think the music is fantastic. Bing! Kirk here, just to shout out this game's composers. It was composed by a two-person team, Gareth Coker, who some of you might know as the composer behind the Ori games, a really fantastic composer, and Mentrix, an Iranian musician whose actual name is Samar Rad, who I was not familiar with, but she's super great, and she brought, I think, a lot of the Iranian influence to the soundtrack. It incorporates a lot of cool Persian instruments and sounds that's very specific to the culture of the characters in the game. So yeah, it's a fantastic soundtrack, and I haven't even heard all of it, but I can't wait to hear more. It's really, really cool stuff. So uh, shout out to those two composers for doing great work.
The music is really good. Really, really mm-hmm. cool. And the animation, I should note that even though the, the art direction itself is a little generic, the animation is really fantastic. Right. And so mm-hmm. that's something I've noticed in cutscenes is that actually like Sargon's face, like when they're having conversations, yeah. it looks really cool. Even if it's like a mix of the graphical style and the art style, it does just look a little bit like a generic game. Like it looks like one of those games you'd see an ad for right. during the game awards in the right. middle of some huge run. Yeah, which I feel like we did. And I feel like that's part of why this game just didn't stand out to me at all right like because <laughs> it was an no... ad during the game awards that's why <laughs> well and really when you think about ubisoft like when you think about something like valiant hearts or child of light like they yeah. are an artist studio they even rayman like yeah. they make games that are like vibrant and really amazing looking and i i do think this game becomes quite beautiful like environmentally yeah some of the environments are surprising yeah, and wonderful exactly like the more i've played the more i've uncovered like a really cool like a solarium with you know, constellations up on the wall. Like you'll you'll find your way into these really beautiful looking areas. So actually, I, I really like, don't mind how it looks. And furthermore, this game runs beautifully on the Nintendo Switch. It, it runs at sixty yep. frames per second, yep. and that's really cool. It's just that, yeah, partly compared to some other Ubisoft games, where you can tell they like let their artists off the chain, make something that looks really dramatic, make something that looks beautiful. This game is a little more like make something that looks like any other game, and then just happens to be like amazingly designed and really fun. Mm-hmm. And the game would probably be better served if you looked at it and you were like whoa what's that like if it just had that too Mm -hmm. because then it would also be sensationally made and I just think that would probably help more people be interested in playing it but in the end it it hasn't mattered that much to me the more I play yeah that's what Hollow Knight has for sure yeah, Hollow Knight does have an extremely distinct visual it's style. Extremely, yeah, you it has that going for it, and yep, so does Celeste. Honestly, yep, Celeste, like Celeste looks a really certain way, and, and so does Metroid in. Dread. Metroid it's Dread true. is a very specific, like very kind of metallic tones yep. and it's like really shiny an interesting and dark. Game. Yeah. Yep, um, yeah, I think the animations, not only in the cutscenes, but also the gameplay animations are really good. And I think that's a, a large part of what helps it feel so um, yes. just like satisfying whenever you do anything is because it's animated really precisely and, and feels and looks really good. Yeah. And I mean, Sargon's animations are fantastic. It's definitely one of those things that you don't think about unless it's not working but mm-hmm. like every animation in the game especially enemy animations are very clear and easy to read and once you learn all the moves it's like super easy to tell what's coming and what the timing is going to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. since we're sharing complaints i'll share mine which is not really a complaint i wish that there were even more environmental puzzles in this game because there are a few mm. that i don't think you two have really gotten to yet but every now and then there's just like a really big room with a bunch of gears in it or a bunch of weird boxes where you're like I don't know what I'm supposed to do here but I can't figure out how to progress and then you just have to use your powers or like step on a series of buttons or move things around in a certain order and then air dash around to get to the right place at the right time I simply love that type of puzzle I I just love it like it's it's Metroid it's Zelda it's what I love about that kind of game I could play that forever it's portal to me and when you solve it you're like I'm a genius it's obvious I was supposed Mm -hmm. to teleport from here to here and now it's so clear and I'm the best it feels so the main puzzles that I've been solving are the ones where you use the glaive or the boomerang whatever it's called the sort of modified boomerang which is this uh, or I guess it's the bow that then becomes this boomerang where you throw the bow itself and it becomes the spinning uh, device that can kind of power various devices. So you'll come into a room where there's a bunch of lifts and each lift has this circular uh, you know, like ring attached to it that if you throw your boomerang onto it, it'll make the lift activate. Mm-hmm. And what I really like about that kind of puzzle is that it you're basically leaving something in the room that's activating one thing, but you can only activate one device at a time. So you have to think about when you're going to pull it back to you, which will cause the thing that was going, like the lift that was moving, to lower and then throw it to cause the next one, which you need to activate to, you know, raise or lower. So Yeah, I love that. And when you have multiple powers in play and you need to remember which one to hit it at the right Right. time, it just feels so good. And you get to feel like a genius. It's in line with like, I guess, I mean, it is a puzzle, but it's in line with the platforming because the platforming is itself a puzzle because you have to figure out the order of moves that you're going to do. The puzzles are just give you a little bit more downtime and and force you to think, I think, a little more creatively. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing is very holistic. I think that all of the movement... 
um, all of the platforming, all of the puzzle solving really feels like it just sort of stretches in one direction or another direction. And it's only really when you're just in a room with a boss that you're just doing a fight and it's a little less puzzly. But the rest of the game really feels holistic in a way that I think is super impressive and a lot harder to pull off uh, than it might feel when you're just doing it and not thinking about it. Maddie, before we uh, go and take a break and go to one more thing, uh, you know what game has incredible environmental puzzles and nothing but them is CrossCode. <laughs> wow, that is true. Mm. That's there we so go. True. <laughs> we got them all in there. And now that we've come full circle, I guess we'll leave it there. Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. Pretty good video game. Great and, game. Uh, we'll take a break and be back with one more thing. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. And together we are The Flophouse, a long-running podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. And because we're so long-running, maybe you haven't given us a chance. I get it. But you don't actually have to know anything about previous episodes to enjoy us. And I promise you that if you find our voices irritating, we grow endearing over time. Perhaps you listened to one of our old episodes and decided that we were dumb and immature. Well, we've been doing this a while now. We have become smarter and more mature and generally nicer to Dan. But we are only human, so no promises. Find the Flophouse on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. We are back. It's time for one more thing. I think we all have books this week. Triple book. The tri-book. Triple tri book. Hey. Triple read. Triple read. Mm -hmm. I'll go first because although mine is a book, it's really more of an activity that I'm doing. Uh, so I read a book called Liftoff. It's by Casey Johnston. And I got this book because I started following her on Blue Sky and reading her blog, which is about fitness, is called Ask a Swole Woman. I don't know when I started following her, but she has pretty good political opinions. So I feel like it started because of that. And then I was like, oh, she's a fitness blogger. OK, I guess I'll read her blogs. And then I ended up buying her book and reading all of it in like a day. Nice. And now I'm doing her weightlifting routine. Uh, so the full title is Lift Off, Couch to Barbell. Not really applicable to me because I've done powerlifting before the kind where you lift the bar over your head. I used to do it in my 20s and actually keep up with it. And then time went by. I don't have a gym membership. I haven't for like a decade. <laughs> I don't own a metal bar that's that size or a way <laughs> to put it anywhere in my house. And I probably never will. But the purpose of liftoff is to teach you the fundamental weightlifting exercises that you can do with either your own body weight or free weights that would basically allow you to eventually lift the 45 pound bar that is in a gym. And I'm talking about the big bar. Like if our, if yeah. our listeners are never, <laughs> never lifting weights, I can't blame you. It's a very specific type of hobby to want to do, but it's like that really big one that you see in like power lifting competitions where they lift it over their head or they do like the deadlift where they're lifting it from the floor and using their entire body. And, uh, I didn't necessarily need the book, but I, I really like reading books like this because I'm always curious just what different people use to motivate them to do something that is really repetitious, which is exercise. And um, Casey Johnston has a lot of really great meditative explanations of how she's she's just always correcting her form. That's just how she thinks about it. Like even now she's she can lift way more weight than I can or ever could even in my 20s. She's always correcting her form and just kind of meditatively thinking about that as she lifts. And I think that's really cool. So I, I've been doing that and kind of getting back into that and remembering how good it feels to do body weight exercises and lifts that use your entire range of motion. It's very satisfying as an exercise. So if you're a listener who's never done that, 
Liftoff is a really good beginner's guide to getting into it. You don't have to get all the way to the end of lifting a 45 pound bar, let alone one that has plates on it. But that is what the eventual design of the book is for. You can also just use it to learn like the basic exercises that are full body exercises for lifting weights and are really useful for pretty much any person that wants to like get a little better at taking the cat litter inside or whatever heavy thing you're lifting in your day-to-day life that you wish were easier for you. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I recommend it. I'm really glad I got it and that I'm back on the back on the train, getting stronger. Casey Johnston, uh, Kotaku split screen guest. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this was a surprise reveal for yeah, me. Right. So Casey is an old Casey is an old a very old friend of mine. Um uh, she used to write about games for a spell. Um, she was at Ars Technica for a while. She was more of a tech tech slash games writer, and I've known her mm-hmm. since like since I was coming up in the in the beat. That's um, cool. And then a few years ago, she got into weightlifting and started doing pivoting to that as her kind of her main beat, and that's what she's been writing about since. Um, but she came on when she was. Starting or, or maybe a year or two after she had started, ask a small woman or her kind of for her body weight lift or her weightlifting and and um, bodybuilding kind of advice routines and columns and stuff. And she came on and talked to us a little bit about that. Uh, what was it, 2017, 2016? Wow, yeah. No, yeah, it was a while ago. It was cool. She was a great guest. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah, she's very awesome. Ask a small woman is great. I feel like there's a lot of overlap there like if you are into games and getting better at a game then you might actually really like Mm. weightlifting even if you Mm -hmm. don't think you would and even if you're like oh i don't want to like pack on a bunch of body weight like it's so nice to be able to lift that cat litter though just lift it with ease (laughs) bring it inside so Mm -hmm. easily pounds and pounds it's really really nice carrying in the groceries like tons of bags at once if that doesn't sell you what will yeah, being strong. It's is like nice. it's like getting power ups at Sargon. It's exactly the same. <laughs> so, Kirk, why don't you go next? Uh, nice. My one more thing is also about acquiring a new skill. So, last time, two times ago, I don't know. Recently, I talked about a Kelsey McKinney essay about learning piano and mentioned that I had been reading a book about learning music as an adult, and I finished that book. It's really good. I just wanted to shout it out and recommend it to anybody who was interested in that. Kelsey McKinney essay and in this topic the book is called Guitar Zero The Science of Becoming Musical at Any Age it's by Gary Marcus who is a noted is it is that a guitar hero joke by the way it is because it was written in 2012 Great. when more people would uh, would remember that uh, Gary Marcus is a cognitive psychologist he's like a professor at NYU and kind of a big deal in the world of neurology and psychology he actually writes about AI too wow. he's I think pretty skeptical of AI and wants more regulation of it he has a book called what's it called it's like rebooting AI that's kind of about the rules for AI and how we should tackle that. I think he wrote that in 2019. So he's he's an interesting guy who I think writes about a lot of interesting things. This book is about how he actually played Guitar Hero, probably I'm guessing in 2007, 2008, and has never been musical at all. Like he just could never count rhythm. He couldn't sing in tune. He could never just do, play music in any capacity. But he's always loved music and wished that he could. And then he played Guitar Hero and he was like, oh my God, this is the first time in my life I've ever done something musical successfully. Like I'm playing a song in guitar here and it's rules. So then he set out to learn guitar. He's at the time, I think he was kind of in his late thirties. So like right around 40 and started learning and became fascinated, I think, by the process, the challenge, what it is that music requires of your brain, especially the guitar and how weird and demanding it is to learn. Um, And he then wound up writing this whole book where he goes and talks to all kinds of people, famous musicians. He talks to like Pat Metheny, a bunch of other famous guitarists, but also neurologists and people who understand the brain and understand language. There's a lot in there about language and how children learn language. He looks a lot at how children learn music and, you know, the way that it's so much easier for kids to learn music and to learn language as well, why that might be, all the different parts of your brain that uh, that music requires you to use, whether there's like a talent, like what talent even means. It's a really, really interesting book, just if you're into this kind of thing. If anyone out there knows of Oliver Sacks or has read his book, Musicophilia, which is similar. Oliver Sacks, of course, the neurologist who 
uh, really got into music in the brain as well. It's like that. It's a little more approachable, but it is really a really fascinating book uh, that I found super interesting. I've become really interested in this subject because some of my friends and people I know are adults who are learning music. Um, I hear from Strong Songs listeners all the time who get inspired, you know, listening to that show and are like, all right, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to learn guitar Aww. or pick up the guitar that nice. I put down, you know, when I was yeah. younger, which is probably the coolest thing that's ever happened because of Strong Songs. Like, it always makes me really happy. And of course, I've been really getting serious about guitar over the last couple of years. And even though I'm coming at it from a different place, because of course, I've like had a lot of musical training, I still can really relate to that feeling of forcing your brain to just build these new connections and this new gray matter that can handle this bizarre thing that is the guitar fretboard in particular, because the fretboard is so this strange math equation of sort of recursive strings that don't really quite follow a pattern. Um, so anyways, it was really, really fun for me to read it in particular. And I think he's a, a great writer and has a lot of fun just tackling his own process. So it's a great book. I really recommend it. Um, Guitar Zero, The Science of Becoming Musical at Any Age by Gary Marcus. Uh, So yeah, big recommendation for that one. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Jason, hope your book is good. What what is it? How'd you do? (laughs) My Weber thing is also a good book. It's a book called Battle of Ink and Ice by Daryl Hartman. And it uh, is set, it is a nonfiction reported book that is set in the late 1800s slash early 1900s. And it's about two things, the ink and the ice. It's about the polar exploration of that era and this battle between Robert Peary and Frederick Cook, who are both explorers from America, who both claim they've discovered and they were first to discover the North Pole. And it's about, at the same time, the ink is the newspaper battle of the era between the New York Times and the New York Herald. And each of them are kind of run by these these fascinating characters. The Herald especially is run by this guy named James Gordon Bennett Jr., who is this like debaucherous, like playboy, uh, fascinating dude who is like, like goes into exile in Paris and has all sorts of interesting anecdotes surrounding him. And what's really <laughs> interesting is that this is a, a very uh, different time for the newspaper business. This is the, an era where like newspapers are unafraid to just like post fiction and make things up and do these super splashy I mean if you think clickbait is bad in the modern era like this is this is really out of control crazy stuff um, the stuff that would be printed in this era um, this is where the term yellow journalism comes from and um, there's oh, really? an interesting kind of there's an interesting uh, anecdote in the newspaper sections of this book about that term especially and and where it came from it came from this kind of uh two newspapers both printing the story uh i won't i'll I'll leave the specifics to the book but it's really interesting and it's also about william randolph hearst and his empire and joseph pulitzer and his empire and a lot of really interesting news moguls of the time and their battles and so the book is structured in kind of it's a confusing structure in some ways it bounces around a lot between the newspaper stories and the polar exploration stories but fundamentally it's about this kind of the who's going to be the last surviving who's going to be the victor of the newspaper wars and who's going to be the polar explorer that actually reached the North Pole first and so there is some interesting narrative tension there and it's really well written it's a very well constructed story it doesn't try to um, there isn't any purple prose or embellished text the way that the newspapers of the times might have included. It's a very straightforward telling, which I appreciate. There isn't like make made up dialogue or anything like that. And mm. I, I always I always appreciate a that. Jason Schreier pet peeve, as we yes. well know. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> And so I'm really enjoying it, despite the what can be a kind of confusing structure to follow. It's a really good story and really interesting if you're if you care at all about um, the newspaper business. And even if you don't, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting. There's some good kind of details about exploring the North Pole and those kind of frigid Arctic adventures that uh, that explorers would go on, scientists would go on back then. And that stuff is really interesting. And there's a lot of foreshadowing for our modern era. Uh, some stuff about fake. News news and uh that term being popularized at the time and a lot Mm. of other kind of interesting little nuggets that get peppered in throughout the the story so yeah i'm really enjoying it also the first book that i'm reading on my new kindle that i mentioned last week which by Mm. the way i paid the 20 dollars to just get rid of the ads and my life is finally in peace they did get me (laughs) um 
But yeah, really good book. Uh, it's called Battle of Ink and Ice. Uh, came out last year by Daryl Hartman. And yeah, I, I recommend it for sure. Wow. Nice. Sounds like two books that I need to read. Great. Great. Yeah. I just have to finish Prince of Persia. That's what we're here to do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Recommend books to people. Which is going to be easy. I'm going to wrap it up real quick right after this. It's going to be the easiest fight of my life. You got this. And with that, <laughs> it's been another episode of Triple Click, folks. Yeah. We did it again. This was fun. Yeah. See you both next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.